0: Today we continue in our message time in our series in the book of Philippians and we are in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Today we'll be in verses 12 through 16. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 16. As we prepare to read this, I want to kind of set and get your minds thinking a little bit on how to approach this situation or how to get that mindset. And some of it will play off the unity that we talked about in the previous messages. But I want you to imagine in your place of work or you can expand it. We offer, sometimes we use band analogies or sports analyses, but let, let's use a work analogy today I want you to think of being at work and your boss's boss is away. Now, I say your boss's boss because every company called them something different. They have different titles and things like that. But it's your boss's boss. This might be the person that can fire you, whereas your boss, the person that kind of manages what you do, may or may not fire you, but your boss's boss is away. Your boss might be around, but your boss's boss is out of town. So for some, it's a time to relax. Now, you might have someone, you might have worked with someone like this. They take the opportunity to stir up trouble when the boss's boss is gone. And they try to challenge the, 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 the supervisor that's still there. And uh, they're trying to stir up some disputes, work's not getting done because they're having a discussion on how to get things together. And the immediate management doesn't know how to fix it because the boss's boss, your boss's boss is gone. And so they are trying to figure out how to help and, and it's just getting worse. Nothing's getting done. Um, and so some think because the boss isn't here, That it's time to do whatever you want, you know, when the cat's away, the mice will play. Now this is not an exact parallel to our passage of Scripture, and you'll see that in just a moment. But I want you to kind of get in that mindset that Paul builds on this a little bit as we come into the Scripture, because remember Paul was with them when he started this work in Philippi. But now he's away, and so he's going to tell him some things, even though I'm not there. And maybe your boss just goes on vacation. And you're like, even though I'm not here, I still want it It'd just like be if I wasn't here on a Sunday. That I would do certain things, because what happens when the ta- pastor takes a vacation or something? Then some people just decide, well, I guess I don't have to go to church that day. So let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, and maybe you'll see where I'm going. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is good God who works in you, both to will and to do, for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Verse 12, we kind of see what I was talking about a little bit. He's basically saying, as you've obeyed me in the past when I was there, and also obeyed me in person, Sorry, obeyed me when I was there in person, and when I'm not there as well. But now, I want you to do something. Verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, what does he ask them to do? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own... uh, Salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I'd like to bring up the Ephesians passage of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And it says here, I'm going to, here on the screen, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Next verse. Not of works lest anyone should boast. And we just read in that scripture it says, work out. But this says, not of works. Now this comes from Ephesians, which Paul was a letter, we're reading in Philippians, a letter to the the Philippians, who are in Philippi. This is a letter to the Ephesians that are in Ephesus. Let's go back to the previous verse if we could. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. So you're saved through faith. And that, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Next verse, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now let's go back, if we could, to Philippians 2, 12. Work out your own salvation. So it's not saying here that we have shifted to a work We need to find how those work together. Some people say, and some religions, uh, like Islam and other faiths, if you do these kinds of things, and the American Amish, I believe, are this way too, if you go through the checklist, the 99 things or whatever the number is, of things that you need to do, then you'll get into heaven. No, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith. It's through the blood of Jesus that we get into heaven. We have Jesus forgive us of our sins. That's how we get into heaven. But we need to continue to maintain that relationship with Jesus. And when it says to work out here, make every effort as I did some of the research of what, what the words were meaning behind here in the Greek, some of the commentaries and some of the things that go with it, make every effort. And it continues and says with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. And as you research that, there's some sense of alarm. Urgency, sense of fear, some sense of concern. This is serious. You need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You need to make every effort with fear and trembling. There's some urgency. He's basically saying you need to work out your own salvation. Don't rely on me, Paul, for your salvation. I came here. We had a great service. We had people coming to our new church, and everything was going on. I'm pretending to be Paul. They planted this church in Philippi. And everything's going on. Everybody's happy. There was, and nowadays, you know, there's great singing, a great commotion. And now Paul is left. He's going on to the next... Activity, And he says, you've obeyed me in the past, whether I was in person or whether I'm away. I'm telling you, you need to yourself work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You need to take every effort for your salvation with some urgency, some alarm. It's not a casual kind of thing. You can't rely on the pastor. I talked to a man one time. I've talked to several people from different parts of the world, different religions. This particular person was from India. I asked him what his faith was. And he says he was a Christian. And I said, I was curious about his conversion activity, on how he saved. And he said, I was born Christian. See, he wasn't born into a Hindu family, he was born into a Christian family. Some people might think, well, I'm, I'm part of a Christian heritage, and so that makes me a Christian. Well, no. Well, I go to church, that makes me a Christian. No. What makes us a Christian is having our sins forgiven and the blood of Jesus applied. But when we work out our salvation and we're maintaining our Christian life, it needs to be nourished. We we can't go out and start sinning and expect God to be happy with that. We can backslide, fall away, turn our back on God. But we need to maintain that relationship with God through we come to church together. And as we come to church together, we're maintaining each other's faith. You know, the scripture talks about fail not the assembling of yourselves together. We encourage each other. We chastise one another. We try to move forward so that we can then, as a church body, be salt and light in the community and outreach. But we have to work it out and we have to have some urgency. It can't be... Oh, yeah, I, I go to church on Christmas and Easter. I'm a CE Christian or whatever you want to call that. That's not maintaining. There's no urgency in that. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I go to church, you know, let's see. I'll just try, give me a second. I'll try to remember last time I was at church. Yeah, yes, like once, once, a, once every three months or once every month or... Well, I go to church every Sunday. Okay, that's good. So, what are you doing to work out your salvation through the week? See, Paul, they were there and Paul was gone, but let's say the church is here and then you leave, aren't you still supposed to be maintaining, working out your salvation with fear and trembling when you're not in church? I mean, I came to church, I had church, all right, check the box. All right, I'm going to go on. <coughs> what am I uh, doing through the week? Where's the urgency in that? And you might come to midweek service. That's good. This is good. We want to maintain, build this relationship. Well, you do have to be careful of that danger of, like, well,. I don't really have time for some of these things. And maybe it's not you. This might not apply to you. Maybe it's some other people that you've seen someplace. They come to church during the, during the Sunday, and, and uh, man, they raise their hand like everybody else, or they talk the talk, and they're real pleasant and upbeat and, and all those kinds of things but they don't have, hardly have time to do anything for God during the week, let alone pray for their food and be thankful for what God's given them. I mean, some of them would probably be scared to death, you know, have the pastor show up in the same store where they're at or what they're doing or walking down whatever aisle they're walking in. And I know sometimes you probably had this thing where somebody says, they watch their language around you. Oh, I'm sorry. But it shouldn't have to be when the pastor's around or when there's another Christian around that now you're going to maintain your faith. It should be, I mean, maintaining my faith with fear and trembling, there's a certain level of alarm, a certain level of urgency, a certain level of seriousness. I mean, so, what? I mean, what's the big deal? What's at risk here, anyhow? Oh, just your soul and your eternity, not, not that big deal. Work out your salvation. Make every effort in maintaining this relationship with Jesus with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's God working in you, but you've got to be engaged. Now do all things without complaining, and disputing. Remember that little illustration I gave you is, is uh, Paul's not around, pastor's not around, leader's not around, but in the workplace, maybe you can relate to that, the boss's boss isn't around, so somebody's turning up problem. And then what's happening? The work's not getting done. You ever been around someone that they want to talk, they, they, <laughs> You're out there and you're trying to get something done. I can, think, I can relate to shoveling gravel or sh- shoveling dirt or maybe moving a pile of wood or something that's physical like that. Um, or maybe pitching manure. I've done all those things. And you're out there and you're trying to get the work done, but there might be somebody out there doing the work with you and all they want to do is, you know, we could probably do this a better way. You know, if we just had a backhoe, and if we had a backhoe, see, we could come in and we could dig all this thing out. And they're talking about things that we can't get anyhow, take too long. while they're standing there leaning on their shovel, doing nothing. And I'm over here actually trying to dig the hole. If you stop debating about it and arguing about it and trying to maybe, and actually was shoveling it and moving the dirt, might have had the work done by now but no, it's, nothing's quite good enough, or you're trying to find another way. And so while you're stalling from actually doing any work and saying, we could do this a better way, because really you don't want to put the work in, you don't want to do the sweat, you don't want the blisters, you don't want to do the work anyhow, so you're arguing about it, or you just want to get your way, all these things are bad. Is that, I'm not saying that we don't want to improve ourselves, and we don't work things together, but we have to be realistic, and at some point you have to do the work. But clearly, Paul does not like the arguing and the disputing. And we can argue and dispute with God. (coughs) Say, God, why do you want me to do this? We can argue and dispute with fellow believers. We can argue and dispute with the leadership God has placed in in motion. But see, when we do those things, what happens? The work doesn't get done. And what is the work that we should be doing is in the community. And so if we focus inward we're not having the impact outward. It's very unfortunate that during the COVID crisis, at a time when people should be able to look to the church for hope and strength, churches were disintegrating. because they were infighting. They couldn't even find a way to agree disagreeably. So you had, I've thought of her churches where they were parting and splitting and going different places and arguing over this and that. Tough situation? Yes. But I don't know as churches as a whole, across the United States it was our finest hour I'm thankful that from all I know, we had people on different sides of the issues, but we found ways that we could still respect each other. And so I'm appreciative of how we were able to do that and still have service. Some ran in fear, fought over yes we should, no we shouldn't, but didn't, weren't fighting to find a way to agree or to try to get it done so that we could still worship, we still move forward and still impact our communities. But you can see how we can get so focused. A church can have a building program, and they get so focused on getting that building set up, that new fellowship hall. They put all their effort together, and they're so excited how they came together to build that new effort. But if they're not careful, they lose focus on the wrong work. And the same thing happens. They're not focusing necessarily on the community. They're focusing on their personal fellowship, which is good to have fellowship, but they're not there. But when there's this this disputing, they become like the Corinthians church, and it just displays to the world our carnality, our sinful nature. And we start looking a lot like the world. In contrast, to what Paul says here, as we've talked about in Corinthians, where there's these angerings and these disputings and these things about you, are you not carnal? Aren't you like babes in Christ? But here we have this contrast. Verse 14, do all things without complaining and disputing. Then verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless. The word behind that is innocent children of God. Without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. You're the one that other people can look to as a symbol. Not of, hey, oh, I know that church, they're the complaining church, they're the grumbling church, they're the gossiping church, they're the everything's wrong in the world church. There's no peace, hope, and love in that church. They're always bickering with each other, they're always in strife. But you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fall in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, that you are the illuminator. A light illuminates. And what are we illuminating? We're illuminating their need for God. And it's kind of hard to do that at times if your carnality is in the way. If their me first is in the way. But if you're working together, shine that they need God. To breathe that salt and light in the world, to be that impact, to be that hope, to be that uplift, to be that encouragement. And it says, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Holding firm, holding fast the word of life. Keep holding on to the word of life, the word of life, the word of life, the gospel of Not compromising the word so that I can get more people to talk to. The goal is not to have a big gathering of the world. The goal is to add people to the church. Not add the church to the world. Add people to the church, not the church to the world. It's no wonder when some of these large churches, we looked at them, and COVID hit, it got a little bit hard. The next thing you know, they don't have numbers anymore. Because the wheat and the tares. People showed their true colors. But you see the message, as it weaves together. As we surrender to God, we put God first. We listen to God. If you're surrendering to God, you're putting God first. And you're listening to God. I would hope if we're listening to the same boss we can start to get along better if we get ourselves out of the way. You want a strong marriage? Then both of you need to love God more than you love each other. Think about that. If you both love God more than you love each other, God's number one. God's number one. If you love God with all, then you're going to love around you, and God's going to teach you how to get along with Him. He's going to instruct you together, and if you're both obeying to Him, it makes it a lot easier. Not just that you're both Christians, it's that you're both surrendered. Because if you're not surrendered, then it's going to be, well, I, you got this little bottle within yourselves. You're trying to figure, I'd like to do this, but should I do this? And then they're over here, and they're doing the same thing back and forth. It might seem like a little thing, and it might be, but it's an encouraging thing when you've been in a marriage or something a while, and you just feel led that, or your spouse feels led that maybe we should give some money to so-and-so to help them out. And we're like, how much money? What were you thinking? And you give a number, and the other person has the same number in their head. Because God's telling you the same thing, so it makes it easy. We need to be that light. We need to be surrendered. We need to have that impact. You want to impact the world for Jesus? Get all in with Jesus. So that we're not focused on each other in the disputes and how to do things better. Let's just do it God's way. And work together God's way and be that light out in the world, because they will see the difference. It's not a church that compromises, but it's a church that still loves. May God help us. Let's be standing together. Father God, I pray that you'd help us as a church. Both this congregation and as a broader church, To be all in with you. That we would not be lackadaisical in our Christian walk. And the only time we serve you or endeavor to do so is on Sunday morning. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And that we would not be known for our grumbling and our complaining and never getting anything done. but for our obedience, for our love and care for each other. May we surrender our wills completely to you, and if we are all surrendered completely to you, it makes it easier to be that light in the darkness that illuminates other people's need of you. That beacon on the hill that they see as a place for hope. That they don't look like and say, oh, that's just like my club. Just like the group that I belong to, they're having the same kinds of problems, so I don't know what's special about them. May they see a difference in the way we live as individuals, but also in the way we behave as a church for each other. Guide us, we pray. Help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen.